Welcome to Moonday Mystic by Modern Mystic Shop, the podcast where we help you harness your intuition, your personal power, so that you can live a magical life. Welcome, everybody, to Moonday Mystic. Today, we are having a conversation with Kim Kranz of The Wild Unknown and many, many other projects, New York Times bestselling author. Um, I know it's weird sometimes to hear people, you know, kind of list out your bio, but I am so excited to chat with you today. She's got this amazing new project coming out called Major Arcana Meditations, and it's releasing on the 10th of October. So we're just going to have a conversation. Um, some of my burning questions as I've followed you and your career. Um, but if you don't mind, Kim, just for a second, I'm going to, can I share with you my story of how I encountered your work? Yes, you please. Okay. Yay. So I credit the Wild Unknown for that the tarot deck, the very first edition, to really taking my tarot reading from something that was more sort of like a student and sort of studying the meanings and definitions and crossing over into this intuitive space. So I had been reading tarot and learning for about, I would say, like five or seven years or so. And then when I was gifted the Wild Unknown, it was the first time it was almost as if the meanings of the cards were just animated and it just really created this like real life connection. And I could almost feel it when I wasn't with my cards, them beckoning me. Like I couldn't wait to get home to try to see what they had to say. And it was the first time I really built an intuitive relationship with something. And I, that was such a turning point for me. And I do believe if it wasn't for your art connecting with me in that way, I wouldn't have had the push to towards mysticism, towards modern mystic shop. I feel like there was, for me, a time before the wild unknown and after the wild unknown, like when Dorothy was in the Wizard of Oz and everything turned to color. So I just wanted to thank you because uh, it's it's such a meaningful it was, uh, experience for me. Sorry, I'm getting emotional about it. Thank you so much, Kelly. It's a big deal for me to hear that from you. And the trajectory of that deck has always kind of amazed me. And I'm so happy to hear that it is a is a pivot point for some people. It was a pivot point for me in the creation of it. And I also hope that this next project that actually comes out like tomorrow, somehow it's October <laughs> already. Um, yeah. I hope that it deepens that intuitive um, space that you're talking about, because I think that was some, that was the reason I created the deck. And then the reason, you know, 10, 11 years later, I'm creating the, or I created the meditations for the major arcana cards because I wanted people to go like even deeper into their own relationship with these cards, like things that can't be taught, but wisdom or knowledge that can be revealed through practice and really through like time spent with the archetypal energy of the card. So I'm so happy to hear you say that. It means a lot to me as an artist. And, um, you know, I think the impact that we all have on each other, our practices and our art and our readings and our just whatever we're up to, uh, we have no idea how it will affect other people. And the tarot deck really shows me that over and over. And it's important for us all to remember that no matter how we're showing up, if our things are known or unknown in a wider field or what have you, really our our work 
affects others. So it's a big deal. Yeah. Thank you. It is. Thank you. It is a big deal. And I remember actually seeing you at Rama in Venice and I saw like the world card in the back of a sweatshirt. And I was like, that's very specific. <laughs> and then I turned, I was like, that, and then you turned around, I was like, that is actually Kim of the Wild Unknown. And it was such a synchronistic moment. Um, I remember. And- yeah, I was like, I let you have your. I think I didn't talk to you until after class. Maybe I, I, I hope I at least gave you some space to practice. But um, it was really, it was a really uh, synchronistic experience for me. Um, okay, so this project, this uh, major arcana meditations, how did this idea come to be? It was you were saying it was through seeking a deeper connection with these archetypes. Can you speak more about that? Sure. Well, over the years, I've found that the challenge is for me. And the challenges for people in general to how do I get deeper into the cards? Like, how do I kind of go from uh, just what you're saying that Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz, when things turn to color and it gets deeper, the dimensions open up. And that's literally what I wanted to do with the cards. I was like, okay, the cards have been existing in two dimensional form for a decade. People are getting to a certain place with them. But I've found over and over that, you know, we all kind of look to Google or like look to some mm-hmm. website to, to confirm our own understanding or our own experience of the cards. And I was like, we got to like break this somehow. And I think the way to do that is um, to spend more time with the cards. But it's hard to give people a map for that. Like, oh, go spend a month with the magician card. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? So I wanted to create... Um, meditation so people could spend uh and actually like walk into the space of the card so the meditations there's a soundscape that it's like instrumental that i created with um my producer friend here in los angeles so it's kind of like walking into the dream of the magician as a visualization meditation and setting the stage for that landscape sitting down across from the magician and having an experience with that entity. Mm-hmm. And then it's very open-ended. Like what does the magician want to um, project, express, um, send to the listener? And you can kind of have your own experience with the card. And then that that's something you could do for the month, say, mm-hmm. um, or you could do it once, or you could do it, you know, on the full moon for one year. And really be able to study these cards in a way that um, it gets deeper and deeper instead of more informational or more correct. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was the intention. And when I started the process, it got really deep for me. It got really deep for me, which was surprising. I kind of went into it like, oh, I want to do meditations of the major arcana. And I know what I'm going to say. And I know what this card is about. And it's going to be cool. <laughs> and then we were basically doing one, one track in the recording studio a day. And I had written and done practices with each of the cards before that to prep. And then we would go into the studio, do the audio and the soundscape. And when I started working with the cards, like in this way, it's like the deck for me opened up in a bigger way. And I was having this experience like, Oh my God, you know, the, wheel of fortune card. Like I remember having an experience with that card for myself personally, like 10 years ago. And just now feeling like the wheel of that card has come full circle 
Mm. Not related to the tarot, but more related to my personal life. And being like, wow, the wheel. What, what a big force in the world. And if you really start to tap into the slow arc and the, the magnetism of that force and how we're all kind of on that track. And so I remember like pulling into my friend Kevin's studio in the car. I had to just sit in the car and like gather myself because I just was weeping about the wheel, you know, just thinking mm-hmm. like, man, these, these um, dynamics in the tarot are so big. And no matter how long we study them, if we really kind of bow down to them and are humble, they will take us to a very deep new place. It's like a new land. It's exactly what you're saying with Dorothy. It's like Dorothy goes from black and white to color. And then you can say the next step step is like, she goes into like, I don't know, what's it called? Like VR or something. So (laughs) it's just, it keeps going and going and going. And then it's like, you realize you're just in the deepest dream of being alive on earth and gets more and more rich and dynamic. So that, that was the, that was where the process took me. So in a sense, the tarot is like never over, you know? That's really beautiful. Part of my practice and members of our community do this is we find what year we're in and then we align it to a card in the major arcana. And the the invitation is to embody and work with that energy and that archetype for 365 days. And so one of the most prevalent experiences I had with that card a couple years ago was the Empress. And I had just ended my marriage and I was redefining, you know, womanhood for myself and what it means to um, create my, my, even my own living space in a way that it become an, becomes an altar. And so I've had such incredible opportunities taking one at a time, like you're saying, and creating a practice for myself. And you know, what's so interesting is whenever I do these new years, because in sequence, they kind of change a lot. I mean, going from transitioning from an empress energy to an emperor energy is is really different. So at first it feels unwieldy and kind of awkward like a teenager. You know, it's like, how do I want to wear this? And there's experimentation and embarrassment sometimes of like, that wasn't very graceful. But by the end of the year, it starts to reveal itself like the deeper layers and it starts to become integrated. So I can really appreciate that slowness and taking a time to experience a card, not just cognitively understand the meaning. And I think experiences are what is most transformational. Um, exactly. In the spiritual then landscape. we own it. Mm-hmm. It's like then yeah. the, the thing that I experienced and now know about the Wheel of Fortune card, it's not teachable. To, right. to I couldn't have learned that from a teacher or a book or whatever. It's like, it, it's just in me now. And I can't mm-hmm. even find confirmation of that exact thing online if I were to right. look, but I don't even need to because I, right. it's, it's like a feeling tone that is very, very specific. And once you hold that, then you, your own you know, scope gets more and more vast and powerful as a reader. So it's really big deal what you're talking about. It's the same as, you know, we all want to know so much so quickly, but knowing something deeper over a long period of time is like, you know, potentially And the sages said, like, that's where, what it's all about. You do the same thing over a long period of time without pause and with love in your heart, and then something will occur. So that year long practice is like such a big deal. It's like, I'm such an advocate of that. 
Yeah. And for, for those who have listened to the last episode, we interviewed Claire Goodchild and it was about ancestral work. And her whole premise is very similar. It's daily acts of devotion. It's daily, exactly. tiny deposits, you know, tiny energy shifts over time. And you're right. We are in a culture and like the self-help culture too. It's like get the answers fast, transformation fast, change, change, change. But the subtle, nuanced change that comes with, you know, you practice yoga in meditation, as do I, over years, over thousands of practices, that's that's really what what changes you in a sustainable way. I love that. Yeah, it's like that idea of like slow is fast, Mm -hmm. which is very bizarre. But if you go slow and steady, repeating the thing. It's like mm-hmm. that idea of japa, like mantra or a relationship mm-hmm. or getting to know a person or anything you, a year, you know, to give it a year is really, it's like so beautiful. Well, you think when you meet a new person too, right? When you meet a new person, you're not expecting, I mean, sometimes you have those fast friendships where it's a lost soul that you're reintroduced to, but you have to take time and, and energy yeah. to get to know the person. I guess it's sort of similar with some of these practices. It's so similar over and over. I was just thinking the other day, like the, the, I think the most prohibitive phrase for a mystic is I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I, I'll, I'll find myself saying like, oh, I know that. I know that mantra. I know that practice. I know that meditation. I know that card. I know that crystal. And it's mm-hmm. like the door closed. There's some like, um, it's like the plexiglass drops down and you just yep. get further from the thing. It's yeah. protective. It is because it's a protective device sort of unconsciously, you know, to just be like, oh, I don't need to actually be vulnerable or present with the thing or just mm-hmm. listen and, and, and settle into it or, you know, breathe with it, Bre- like breathing with the fool card. What is really what is really happening with the fool card, you know, and the vulnerability of it and the enthusiasm and the naive nature of that that spirit. It's like it's very uncomfortable to just spend time with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially the fool. Sometimes it's anxiety inducing for people because it has that energy of anything's possible, really yeah. anything. And so sometimes yeah. when that's the case and it's unnerving, it could totally. be literally anything. Oh, I love yeah. this. I love how you've been describing this. Um, I'm, I saw on your Instagram that you said that your teenage self kind of expressed herself through this project. And I'm kind of curious about that, like what you were like as a teenager and how you invited that part of yourself into this process. Well, even the photographs, I literally look like I did when I was 15, <laughs> 16. And I left home early and went to art school. I got a scholarship to an art school. Um, very blessed to have had that experience. And I was drawing and worked with a very mystical uh, drawing teacher for like three years, a very dedicated teacher. And um, I just like wore overalls, woke up early, drew, made music, was a little bit like art punk. And when (laughs) I saw those photos of myself, I was like, oh, that's just that's just me. There I am. Like, you know, you can kind of get caught in, or I feel I've been kind of caught in the wheelhouse of like my career or different things in the publishing world and the yada yada and the fancy this and that. And it's like, no, I just want to be like making stuff with people that I love and about deep 
fascinating subjects and, you know, wearing overalls. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And there have been those moments too in my life. There was one pivotal moment when I was a kid, I would get taken to Macy's in Herald Square to see Santa Claus. And it was always this big deal. I was from New Jersey. And then a few years ago, one of some of my products were in that Macy's. And I could just feel my little five-year-old self thinking that I was the coolest. You know what I mean? Wow. It's like, oh, she's doing it. She created yeah. something in this place that my little kid mind meant making it, you know? So, so cool. I, get, I get that. It's like those moments where you recognize yourself. You're kind of an essential self, you know, knowing you were sort of headed towards something all along. And that's a very, it's rare to feel that. This can be very disorienting, especially in the arts and, and, and in mysticism and esoterica to, to, to kind of track where you are in your career. Like, what is right. happening here? <laughs> and you'd think like, you know, hitting the New York Times list would be some sort of verification. I actually didn't like feel much of anything that day. I was like, I don't know, is this, what, what does this even mean? Am mm -hmm. I supposed to feel something? But like that compared to the experience of being in the studio and really feeling and recognizing myself as like an enthusiastic, uh, highly engaged artist that doesn't really need much of anything except for like a cool subject and some people to work yeah. with that I love and trust. And yeah, and that's those moments of recognition are a big deal. So I think it's important to remember them like you're saying and hold on to them. Yeah, for sure. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, I do have a couple questions about the Wild Unknown, the tarot deck. And, you know, since it does pertain to this meditation album, um, so how did you find tarot as part of your journey? Where, where would, how'd that find you? Um, I would say it found me through a kind of block, like uh, by withholding itself. Uh, and I think this is common for artists. They make things because of like a rub or an agitation with things that exist. So mm -hmm. I remember being given tarot decks and trying to get into them. And I tried to get into them and I tried to get into them and it, I couldn't get into the images. Like I was so specific, I still am very, I'm very much in love with image. And when I find an image, I, I feel like I actually go in to the thing and I couldn't go in. It was like um, they were closed to me, the decks I was looking at. And I would read the descriptions and get all psyched. I'm like, oh my God, this card, this, you know, <laughs> it means this. And then I would look at the card and be like, what the F? Why does this card look like this? It doesn't let me in. And I, I think that agitation is really important for artists and creatives and mystic. And, you know, just to pay attention to that stuff, because you think of it as like, oh, there's something wrong with me. It's a bad thing. But actually all of that, closure was asking me to make my own path. So I just tried deck after deck after deck. And I was like, I got to freaking make my own because these like, now I look at those decks and I'm like, I can find my way in. But at that time I was like, these suck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and now I respect them as, um, you know, major beautiful uh, gateways to, you know, initially carrying the tarot forward. But at the time I felt just very annoyed and upset by it <laughs> and blocked. So I, when I made the deck um, and 
getting the humans out of the images was a really big piece for me in, in being able to get into the, to the cards visually. So using landscape and using animals was a way that my mind could go in and in instead of being shut out and out as far as like, who are these people? What are they wearing? What does their hair look like? And I don't feel like, yeah. that, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't look like that. That's really interesting. And also I would imagine what's interesting about your deck to me is the use of color and the use of not using color in different ways. Um, was that part of, I guess that's part of your access point to it as well. Yeah, I, it's a great question. Um, thanks for noticing that kind of thing. At that point in my life, I was mostly doing black and white drawings uh, with pen and ink and then using color as a way for myself to depict energy, energy transfer. So if you look at the strength card, you'd see a black and white drawing of the, of the lion. And then um, the gold color just is used to say like to emphasize energy so it's used in the lemniscate uh, infinity sign on the forehead. And then it's used with the sun like blazing in the back. But it's a way for me to really focus like the where, how is the energy like speaking in this particular card and sort of keeping it minimal and tight in that way. Now my more recent decks are much more colorful. But at that time, um, I was really just... I don't want to say like just starting out because I had been drawing, you know, and in art school for, I don't know, 10 years at that point. Um, but it was, it, I guess I was trying to be very specific with the color, very intentional with having people sense like something is happening in the forehead and in, of the lion and the shape of the lemniscate. Um, yeah. Little like cues. Yeah. It also seems like you used lines and the direction of the lines, whether they're horizontal, vertical, kind of going out um, in a similar manner. Was that also part of the thought process? Exactly. It's like, um, oh, I get so excited when I get to talk about the actual like nitty gritty drawings because some people <laughs> think of me as a tarot person, but really it's like the drawing is like the heart of it. The tarot is one thing that I've drawn, but the, the mm -hmm. actual line drawing is is my sort of heart, heart of hearts. So my first drawing teacher was very into like, when, where is their energy in line? So she sort of taught me to train my eye and my hand. And the, the whole goal is to that the line holds energy and the direction of the line, the speed, the pacing, all of it uh, will sort of generate a type of energy. It will hold, the image will hold energy that people can see and feel according to what the line is doing. So in that deck in particular has a lot of like line, you know, very detailed line work. Yeah. I appreciated that. I think what helped me break in, I guess those other tarot decks at the time weren't speaking to me either until I ran across yours. And what I, what I loved about it is there's enough information to sort of gear my intuition in a direction, but the scenes aren't so detailed that I already feels like that I know you're talking, like you're talking about, like, I know what this card means or I know what it is. So it gave me personally enough to go on and then access my own intuition to kind of fill in the blanks. I don't know if that was your intention, but that's how it kind of translated as a tool for me. 
That's so great. You're just like saying all the things that are really helpful for me to hear. Cause it's like, I feel oh, that's, my, that's my job description is like create the doorway. Don't make it so specific that only a few people want to walk through it. Make it uh, in, intriguing and, and magnetic. So enough people walk through it and then they find their own way. So that was really the goal with the deck and still my work as it continues is like, and even these meditations, it's like, take them in there with really specific sensations and, and images and then open, go wide and open and vast and let them have an experience. So yeah, that it worked. You're, I mean, it worked for me for sure. And I think that's like, you know, I was actually just emailing. I don't know. We have, we had at least a similar agent about a, another t- a project for me and it's tarot related. And I'm like, my goal is so that people don't have to use a tarot book. Like to yeah. give them methodologies and get them in in line with their intuition and get them in the ball ballpark so that they can kind of put the books aside. And it sounds like with your meditation album and through your tarot art and additional decks, that's kind of where it might be aligned on that goal. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think that would be the goal in general. It's like so that, you know, the 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 tarot practice is really very deep if you go into it with that in mind and that it can help train your eye to sense energy and meaning in in image. It's a very powerful format to pair image with, with a word. Mm -hmm. It's a classic kind of like bang for your buck format of artwork. So if the cards didn't have a word underneath, that would be very different. And if they just had the word and with no image, there's nowhere for the imagination to go. So the pairing of the image and the word is really, really, it it, it generates more than the sum of its parts. I hope that makes sense. So it it does this really big thing in the imagination and, and, and then you can take that skill. It's really a skill people learn by spending time with the cards, the images and those words paired that then you can take into like a museum if you're looking at artwork and you can start to read in the same way. Where is their energy in this? Like what is the archetypal resonance of this mandala painting or this portrait, this self-portrait? Who is that? What archetype is in here? What archetype was the artist working with? And then you can even start to apply it to, you know, people and landscape. You can start to see more in the world, sense more in the world. And that's like a really big deal. So I never thought of that about using that sort of energy scan, I guess. It's an other artwork scan. that is yeah. yeah, that isn't isn't directly correlated to a tarot card. But you're right. Like once you, you know, as you're talking about meditating with these archetypes, and I'm talking about having experiences of these archetypes, you do see it everywhere. And I also encourage people when they're learning tarot and you pull your card of the day see how it actually shows up in real life. Like, if are you having like those feelings, those sensations? Um, because again, just like your meditations guides people through their unique experience, your day-to-day life, if you're paying attention, will show you similar themes and archetypes as the tarot. And then once you experience them, it's much easier to remember. It's integrated. It's integrated. Exactly. So it's super fun to do like pop culture. Like if you're mm-hmm. looking at like you know, where is the magician in literature? Like, where is it in the movies? Or who who is it? Who do I know mm-hmm. in my life that's magician-ish? 
poor, mm-hmm. who's in a fool phase of their life right now, who's um, who's occupying, who's going through a process with like the devil card right now, or mm-hmm. where have I seen that in a movie or a song or something? Then it does get anchored. It starts to take on like a deeper, wider meaning and application, and it can really help. Uh, with the readings, but also it just helps in a deeper way because the tarot works because it's anchored in those big, deep uh, human experiences. Yeah, tarot doesn't they're work. shared experiences. Yeah, it doesn't work on its own. It works because it's anchored in, in our lives and it's it's universal and, and ongoing. Oh, I love that. So now that you are sort of, I guess, a decade or so removed from the creation of the physical tarot deck to this meditation album process, I'm wondering if you use those as mile markers for yourself in your process, are there similarities between how you birthed the Wild Unknown Tarot and then birthing this meditation album? Or can you see differences in how you maybe have changed your approach to creation and art? It's a good question. Um, it's an interesting question. I've been thinking about it a lot since making the since making the the album of of the meditations. I would say it's the most similar like feeling I've had since making the deck, because the other decks came out after the initial success of the tarot. So other people were ready to like hop on board, and publishers or agents, and everybody kind of wants to get in on the thing that has a trajectory and there's like this sort of um confidence or or ease in the process and it's like oh this is efficient this is what I'm doing which is great and I feel blessed to have that experience but there's something really special about breaking into a new genre discipline uh format and I had played music in a band that was kind of my one of my main loves. Uh, I was lead singer and guitar player of a band that was starting to kind of break in the indie scene at the same time that the tarot deck came out. And we were going up, we did a couple US tours opening for big bands and I had like the best time of my life, but all the money I was making from the wild unknown deck starting to come out was going into the gas tank of the tour van. <laughs> and I was like, I'm funding this thing. I actually have to make a choice here. And at the time I didn't have the capacity to hold both. So I picked the tarot because I could feel the trajectory that it really needed to be tended to. Cause I couldn't keep the thing in stock basically. So I closed the door on playing music, you know, for that whole chapter of my life. So this audio recording coming out is the first time, first thing that's been released of mine music-wise in, in over a decade. And then in the spring, in, in February of 2024, I have an actual just record coming out with songs that I wrote and singing and um, chanting and, uh, you know, instrumentation. It's very vibey. It's really cool. I'm very excited. Mm, um, yeah. But so to your, to your question and point, it's like, I actually think these things are the most similar in feeling to taking the step to create the tarot deck because I was going out of my comfort zone. I was sort of at this like funky moment where I'm like, I got to just break free and do something new. Um, And I think that those moments, although they can feel 
less supported or a little bit more like wonky than when there's a bunch of people on board and they're like, yay, make another tarot deck, you know? <laughs> right. Um, they're really rewarding creatively. It's mega, there is mega energy there. So very grateful. Is there a, tar- a tarot card that you would use to associate with the experience of making this meditation album that sort of like that gap between the sure thing and something new or... Does it feel like something like that to you? Hmm. Well, I'll say two things. One is that my card of the year, I always do a New Year's Eve year ahead spread. And I do one card for each month. And then the center card is theme of the year. I used my archetypes deck uh, this year to, to do the reading for 2023. And the card in the center was the siren card which okay. is the, the, the sound, the siren mm-hmm. sound is, uh, she's the one that like calls and, and has the magnetism through, through the sonic, uh, perfect voice. Yeah. So that was like, it's been interesting for me to just experiment with that. Like, what if it is the year of the siren for me? Um, yeah. And, and I allow that to come forward more and more. And then to go back to the question um, from the tarot point of view, I kind of still can't get over this Wheel of Fortune card thing. (laughs) Okay. I'm still feeling like, um, you know, just saying coming full circle makes it sound so small or like kind of like tied in a bow. Uh, But the experience I've had with that card over the last decade is just undone it has just undone me hmm. in a way that I haven't been able to control or package in the way that I wanted to. I simply had to keep going day by day with practices and people and places that I knew nourished the larger path for me, the deeper path. And it has been really challenging and sensing that that wheel starts to come full circle and and reveal it's 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 culmination and the origin of a new circumnavigation is like really moving for me it's really it's really uh it's just like a big deal to me (laughs) oh that's that's amazing and hopefully people will find whatever that is through your album, you know, sitting with these cards that might be that you said, like they can walk through the door to have a moving experience yeah. like you have with that particular, that particular card. That's yeah. I think thing. there's just, um, it's not often that we spend just open time, you know, sort of open time in question with the cards. Very, very hard to make that space where they're like, Oh, I have to be journaling or I have to be learning and I have to be, uh, efficient at this, but the slow, mm. the cards will work on us. There is that too. We don't have to work on the cards. You could take like one step to the card and it's going to take like three towards you. So that's kind of what these audio experiences are designed to do is, you know, the star, the star card moves towards you. It's looking at you. You're looking at the star, the star is seeing you. And it's about that relationship. Mm. more than I know card. that star. I know Jupiter. I know, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, well, Jupiter's oh. watching you too. So <laughs> it goes both ways. 
Ah, well, from those who follow your work and your career, even your social media, it seems like art is something that you're constantly creating on a regular basis. Is yeah. is that the case or does it just look like that? <laughs> no, it's totally the case. I'm, I'm a little bit of a... Um, on that case with my art making. Yeah. It's always happening. I love it. That's awesome. So do you consider that part of a spiritual practice or a creative practice, or maybe you don't even title it or label it as anything? Uh, what is it to you? Um, it's drawing is the best way that I can understand and integrate the world and my experiences. So I've been drawing, I think every day to some capacity since I was really young, 14, 15, and, you know, drawing three hours a day when I was 15 to 19. So figure drawing classes and, you know, kind of a very traditional drawing training. And now I just draw as a way to kind of understand uh, what I'm trying to learn or study. So whether Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, I'm I'm kind of obsessed with boxing right now. So okay, I'll, I'll come home from boxing and I'll draw the sequences. You know, I'll, I'll draw the combinations. It'll be like um, two, three, two. I'll try to draw. What is that? Come, where's the energy moving when I'm, when I'm punching in that configuration? So I'll use it in that context. Or if I want to un- learn a mantra, I'm drawing it over and over. If I want to understand a relationship, I could diagram it out. It's kind of like a way I can bring form or tangible sense to a, a lot of concepts that are hard to understand. Ah, that's that's really cool. Thank you for explaining that. So um, for me, I've got different sort of intuitive gifts and some of them I've decided are for mass consumption, right? So I offer services and then some of it is just for me. Like there's certain abilities and practices that I keep personal with someone like you that is pretty prolific in creating art and it's coming through you all, all the time, it sounds like, how do you discern what is for public consumption, either just for free for people to look at, you know, on Instagram versus for purchase versus, you know, what's private for, for you and your practice? It's, it's such a great question. I don't even... <clears throat> know the answer to that right now i know i'm making a lot of stuff that people will see later okay so sometimes i'll post a quick thing online like in my stories or whatever um you know artists are sometimes they have a gallery show once a year or whatever but i feel right now i'm in this phase of like i'm it's kind of brewing okay and and i'm not in as much of an outward uh, place with it. I don't know why that is. I mean, there's so many artists that, you know, they never showed their work their whole life and then um, it will get seen afterwards. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I have a section of my work that people know and they see, and then I have like all this stuff that, um, I'm always like, there's this one series that I have going for a couple of years now. And I'm like, these are what people are going to s- discover when I die. They'll be like, <laughs> wow. oh, this is what she was up to. Like the subplot of Kim's drawings mm-hmm. were like these gigantic, you know, I won't even describe what they are. But, <laughs> okay, um, we'll keep it. We'll keep it quiet. <laughs> yeah, I think right now there's like such a tendency, like everything has to go online. Everything's like immediately ready for consumption, but 
for whatever reason, there's certain things that I hold, you know, dear. Some stuff is very far out that I draw these days. I do a lot of drawing after meditation and during class. Sometimes I'll sit in the back of like uh, different trainings and esoteric, who knows what, and I won't do the actual practices. I'll just sit in the space and draw. And those are some of my favorite drawings, but they're they're very they're very trippy even for me as the person who made them. So mm-hmm. sometimes I post them online and then I'll take it down after like two minutes. Cause I get a little bit like, Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know. I could see that. It's, is it the, uh, like uh, you're afraid that it's going to be too far out there for people or does it just feel like a vulnerability, like overexposure? You know, when you start to go deep into things, they just get deeper Mm. And if it's not sort of held in the context of or witnessed in the context of like a deep viewer, mm-hmm. it can seem crazy. Got it. You know? <laughs> I get it. Mm-hmm. What people are ex- experiencing in, in deep meditation, the kind of uh, non-dual reality you know, where things get very vast and very open in that field, things go wide and, and sort of taken out of context or without nuance and sensitivity that can kind of be a, a wild thing to broadcast into the world. Yeah. I want to get better at it and more brave because sure. I think the world needs it. And actually people are relieved when they see it, but mm-hmm. um, there's also a uh, time and place for all things. So That makes sense. Well, in our last few minutes before you take us through an experience of meditation, I did want to ask you about your meditation practice and sort of, you know, do you, what it's like and, and how it is that you, you know, fold meditation into your maybe daily life. I don't want to assume it seems like maybe something you do on a daily basis. So what's that look like for you these days? Oh, I am just steadfast advocate of every single day practice because we need it so bad and we need as you know sensitive people working in energetic spaces we need as much bolstering of our energy strength protective sound nourishing breath we need it all so badly so i am an absolute advocate for like not taking days off okay that's just not a thing for me. Okay. That, that for me, that falls under like not giving myself food. Okay. That I need. Yeah. So and is there a certain kind of meditation that you're feeling? Yeah, I do. I do mostly mantra meditation. So I do Japa uh, meditation, recitation of old, of mm-hmm. old texts, breath work and, um, I do kundalini kriyas and, um, you know, my, my, my lifestyle allows me to, I don't have like kiddos and, and, uh, I live solo. So it's like me and my kitties in the morning. So I'm able to do the long practice, but I'm just advocating any listeners, like, don't cut yourself short. Don't undernourish yourself. You need to have something strengthening you and your pranic Mm -hmm. force so you can do what you want and do what you're here to do in the world. That doesn't need to look like anything. It could look like just showing up, you know, in a more present way in any given moment. But um, 
I just am a big advocate of some kind of something that's going to help build strength. And for, for me, that has a lot to do with sound. So chanting and chanting mantras and try to play the piano when I can. And, um, boxing has really gotten my vitality and life force back. So more rigorous exercise and breath work, but you know, when I'm in the boxing studio, I'm doing, I'm doing mantra and I'm really focusing on my nasal breathing and kind of like put it all together in a collage, you know? So the things that I've learned and, um, try to be open-minded to so many different traditions, but most of them come down to like breath work and sound. Yeah. I love sound. And especially for those of you that are listening that are like me, that are more clairaudient and that's like a strong psychic sense. I find myself to be very affected positively and negatively actually by sound and sound current. And that's why I'm very interested in hearing your meditation album because for people with that sense, um, it's really nourishing to have high vibrational sounds in your ears. You know, exactly. it, it really helps. It really helps. And the words even, it, you know, a practice could easily be if you want to understand the magician card more is to just simply repeat the word, you know, the magician, magician mm. internally, or you can whisper it and you're just getting into the, into the sound current of that essence and it will open mm-hmm. up something. Words yeah. are, and the sound is very powerful like that. Yeah, I agree. Well, this is a great segue. Um, it seems like you do have something planned for us. I'm thinking that it's sound and meditation-based. So uh, would you like to transition into that portion of the event? Sure. I. It's not sound-based um, as okay. much as it is... Um, just going through a kind of example of, I was going to do the star card actually. Um, oh, good. And I can just lead through like the 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 um, audio or the the spoken word component of the meditation. Um, yeah. It won't be as uh, epic as the recordings that you'll find um, when the album is released tomorrow, but it is a little snippet of um, the sort of stream. Of. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay. And before we get into the meditation, because I don't want to jolt people too far out of it if they're following along, where can people get this album tomorrow so that they can go ahead and grab it? Yeah, it will be on almost all listening platforms tomorrow. So it's on Hey, it comes out with Hey House, and they were so great um, for this project, just like a, a dream to work with. Um, okay. And you can find it on their app. And uh, I think, yeah, you can find it on their app. You can find it on Audible. I believe it will be on Spotify and all the places that you can find sound. Um, And it's called Major Arcana Meditations. It basically is a six to eight minute meditation for each of the major arcana cards. It doesn't go through the whole deck. It was just like so much content. Um, sure. But it goes from, you know, zero to 21 from the fool to the world card and tracks that entire thing. You can listen to them individually and then they have them put together so you can listen to the whole arc actually and oh, wow. go through it like, like a story because it is, it does really work as a, a kind of long arc of, yeah. of the journey. For sure. Okay, I'm excited. Let's get into it. Okay, cool. So listeners, viewers, 
we're going to transition into a meditation. So whatever you want to do to kind of get comfortable, you could lay on the floor. You could sit up, um, but you want to get comfortable in your seat and a way that your spine can feel relaxed, but, but lengthening and that you could feel the breath in the body coming down to the belly. And then as you're ready, you can close your eyes and we will enter the dream of the star together as a group. And we're on this kind of interesting format to meditate together. It might be different, you know, how deep can we go when we're on Facebook Live or a podcast, but perhaps we just set that aside and decide together, we're going to go into the dream of the star and we'll see what happens and we'll come out knowing more than we do at this moment. That is the promise of the work. So closing your eyes, setting aside the concerns of the world, and we give ourselves to the celestial. And see yourself standing in a sacred meadow at midnight. Below your feet is the earth star and above your head, the sky star. Night sounds surround you and you hear it is time to rest. So you lay down on the earth in this dream and you take in the night sky, softening your limbs and your face, chest and belly. The mind rests in the breath back of the body touching the earth, front of the body touching the sky. And the stars that were once above you now appear inside the body. The entire celestial map glistening in your limbs, organs, joints, glands. And this glistening increases, awakening a familiar feeling, giddy, bubbling, a young 
twinkling spirit that smiles and loves amidst all complexities. This starlight sensation increases until the whole body is giggling with light. What are the chances, you wonder, that I would be graced with this moment? to feel the stars within me and the earth below. What precision this earth, those stars and me What magic this earth, those stars, and me. You look into the sky and your eyes land upon a single star. Your star. It seeing you, you seeing it. Across all confines of time and space. your eyes touching your star. Imagine this impossibility. You deepen the breath and begin to awaken from the dream of the star. You return to the life of worldly things still glistening. And as you're ready just deepening the breath and coming back to the world of FaceTime and Facebook and blogs <laughs> and stuff. Ah, that was lovely. Thanks. That was lovely. You picked my favorite card. I'm not so, I try not to play favorites, but if I'm being real, the star has always been my favorite card. And anytime I look at a new deck, 
I look for that card first to mm-hmm. see, you know, if it speaks to me. So I love the synchronicity of you leading us through that of all the cards, that one. That's a good gauge because it's a hard card to depict. It has to have a certain kind of like celestial energetics, which is not, it's not that easy to um, even define what that is. Right. Right. Ah, that was lovely. Well, thank you so much. I think that does give people an idea with with addition of the soundscape that you're going to, that you created underneath it of what to look forward to with this project that's releasing tomorrow. <laughs> Very psyched. Yeah, that was sort of a short, le- you know, less evolved version, but um, I think it's good to always remember no matter what we can go in there and have an experience. Yeah. I forgot what the words were, but there was something about, oh, what was it? It was like playful, sparkling. What? what? Oh, I can't the tingling. What... The giggling. Yeah, tingling. giggling. That's it. That was so good because there is that. I think sometimes I pr- put some a lot of weightiness on cards and certain cards and specifically the star because it signifies that sort of like that true north and we're always wondering, you know, am I on the right path? But it reminds me of the hope and the playfulness too. That's the fascination as a child when you look up in the stars and it's there's not the yeah. pressure to align with the right one. You said pick any of them, <laughs> you know, to see what exactly. you see. Mm-hmm. And like those tingles are the sign that we're on right. the right track. Like right. it's so it's so funny how heavy we can get with this stuff. Like I'll just we close with this example if you don't mind. Like, yeah. A funny short story um, sure. that I got done with creating the whole archetypes deck. There were a lot of archetypes I had to leave behind, you know, um, mm. only there's only 70 cards are in, in the deck or so. And only that's a lot. <laughs> I, I, got done, I got done and I realized, oh my God, there's nothing funny in this deck. There's oh, no comic. There's no joke. There's nothing light in this deck. And that is a really important archetype. Like if you look at movie genres, comedy is a really big section. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You don't just have the tragedy and the drama. And it's like my I'm oriented towards more like seriousness, like let's really get down to this. So I had to cut another card and then make a comic that was the last card that I put into the deck. The editors were like, what are you doing? Like got to get the comic in there and now when yeah. I see that card I'm so happy because it reminds us like oh yeah and then there's also humor and jokes and lightness mm-hmm. and levity and you know puns and games we can play with like language in our own seriousness that help like kind of break the spells of too too much heaviness yeah for sure. Giggling. I love yes. that word. I, I don't use that. It's not, I don't use it enough. Giggling. Well, like, it's and so that's... healthy to like giggle with friends and like you get your abdomen gets sore. And, you know, there's there's totally. a teaching that says like um, your health, especially for like women, you know, as they age and going through menopause, what have you, if you sweat and you laugh every day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And actually in Kundalini meditations, many of them have at the end laugh. Yeah. It's just, it's an instruction. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, now laugh. It's so oh, good. It's so wonderful. I just did a 62 minute partner meditation that we had to smile at each other and look in each other's <gasps> eyes with like a, a teeth bearing smile for 62 minutes. It was brutal. 
Oh my gosh, that is brutal. It's one of the most hilarious things I've ever done. (laughs) I was man, some of those are some of those meditations are wild. Like sometimes I felt I feel like in those classes, like someone's playing a joke on me. You know, it's like if we've got to be on candid camera if that was a thing anymore or something. (laughs) Like do these weird things. Uh, but it gets you outside of you're talking about. It gets you outside of your comfort zone and it rewires your brain and it makes you more um, you know malleable and that's the that's the work we have to get Mm. our brains in new grooves sure we have to otherwise we just keep having the same experience so hope you know hopefully we're we're willing to do that with the tarot it's like i'm gonna have a new experience with the with the star card because you know it very well and yet there's infinite places you could still go with your relationship to that card so it's like it's so great to have that attitude of like, I wonder what else can happen with my mind and this this archetype. For sure. Yay, Kim, thank you. This has been just a dream come true for me. So thank you for carving out the time. I'm so excited to experience your work in a different format. Um, and just for everyone, so that album comes out tomorrow, 1010. Uh, you said you can get on the Hay House app, Audible, you know, any Spotify, anywhere that you can listen to music. And um, do you want to, is there any other place you want to direct folks to, to, to keep in touch with you? I mean, you can always find me on Instagram, uh, Kim underscore Kranz and then kimkranz.com. There's news there and updates, but um, I think that you should be able to find things on most platforms and most bookstores these days. So yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. And check modernmysticshop.com. We've got all of her physical products. So if there's any decks that you piqued your interest after discussing the wild unknown, um, it's a great place to find the collection of of uh, art that you've created. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you so much Morning again. Yeah, you're so welcome. Of support and and steadfastness with your business has been beautiful to watch. Oh, thank you for that. That means a lot. And uh, thank you for all that you've created and brought out into the world. And um, I guess we'll see everybody for our next Moonday Mystic. So it's always the second Monday of every month at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Next month, our whole theme is going to be about abundance and prosperity. And we'll be talking with the Money Witch in a similar format. So uh, join us again then. All right. Thanks, Kim. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Moonday Mystic by Modern Mystic Shop. Moonday Mystic is hosted and created by Kelly Knight, produced by Ariel Duncan, and inspired by magical listeners like you. 